This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of The Perilous Fight, Overcoming Our Culture's War on the American Family, written and narrated by retired neurosurgeon and politician Dr. Ben Carson. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pastor Mike, Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by The Witness, a black Christian collective. I am your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Burns Clan. Please follow at your own risk. And joining me, as always, is the founder of The Witness, very extensive bio, the man, the myth, the legend, the two-time best-selling author, Mr. Blue Check Verified himself, Dr. Jamar Tisby. What's going on, brother? Always a pleasure to be in the same room with nah, you, don't, brother. Nah, don't do it. Don't yes, do it. No, yes, no, yes. no. No, all I refuse. Up, all blinged I refuse. out. Yeah, I refuse. looking good. Looking good. I refuse. Cut his mic good, off. Y'all. Yes. I refuse. Cut his mic off. He's already taken though. Listen, shout <laughs> <laughs> Yes, very much so. Shout out to shout out to everybody who is watching us online. Thank you so much for tuning in to the video version so you can see us. Um, and if you are listening on podcast, you can find out how to view us on the video version by simply clicking the show notes and you can watch and see us. Jay, you know it's so funny. We always talk about how we're friends off mic. We always laughing and joking. People are like, is that real? I'm like, yes, it's real. But we never really got into our friendship. We were laughing and joking even before. Right, we right. Got on that the might, mic. That might like, make it onto the episode. It might Who make knows? It onto the episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's real. So we always talk about this, and I, I found it interesting because, especially in a time of a global pandemic, I think everyone has underestimated how hard it is to maintain friendships. Yes. And I think everyone's underestimated how hard it is to maintain any sort of physical connection with people, being distanced, being separated, not being able to do the things that we normally do. And I felt like it was helpful for us to talk about friendship, specifically from the perspective and standpoint of black men. Mm. Because I think mm. black men especially, you know, it's funny, I've, I've been watching um, Insecure, right? Yeah. So Malina's actually been going through Insecure. And shout so out I've been to watching Ray. Yeah, Yes, and shout out to Ray. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I've really enjoyed watching Insecure. Like I really enjoy... The show kind of got weird in the middle seasons, but then it, you know, it, it's ended pretty well. But what I found so interesting is pictures both of not just um, women who had friendships, but also men as well who mm. did have healthy friendships within mm. that context, or just complicated real friendships, right? And the complexity of what that actually looks like, and it made me think about how our culture views friendship, hmm. and even from a theological perspective, we have a very interesting theology surrounding community. Hmm. And our theology surrounding community always, it seems in its modern theological iteration, has some some connection to what we call cutting them off. Wow. Cut off culture. Wow. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, you know, people yeah. are like, man, you need to, I heard, I heard one pastor say, no casual interactions in 20, in 2022. I'm like, okay, no well, like what, like, what does that even mean? Like, how <laughs> right. do I figure, like, like, what do you do with that? Like, how do you, <laughs> is he talking about no, no hookups, no shacking up? No, I think he was just talking about friendships. I think he was just talking about purpose and it really skews the ways in which we can view our interactions with one another. That's interesting because you do see a lot of, even just like, quotes and memes and whatnot about not sticking with people who don't 
match your energy, mm-hmm. give you energy, et cetera, et cetera. I think there's actually some wisdom in that in the sense no, of absolutely. not staying around toxic people and about intentionally getting around more of the people you want to be like, right? So right. the the flip side of, you know, bad company corrupts good character, whatever as, the phrase is. As long as you realize that sometimes you toxic. So <laughs> sometimes a person that needs to be cut off is not them, but you. But anyway, you. And if, like if, you, if you keep running into... Uh, uh, toxic relationships. Maybe you're not the it problem, might, not yeah, them. Yeah, it, it might be you. That might be the case. Like it might be the you. only consistent thing there is <laughs> right is you. But so. but I mean, and I don't say that as shade to anybody else. I'm saying as I'm realizing certain things in my own life that, especially from a black man perspective, has yeah. made it difficult Big for time. me to maintain healthy friendships with other men and other black men in particular. And it's causing me to ask some questions about myself and how I need to mature. Let's talk about this. Yeah. Like what makes it difficult to maintain friendships for black men? What are the the elements that make that a challenge? Regardless of a of a global pandemic or not. What right, are the right. elements that just make that difficult? <laughs> well, you know me. I always think about or jump to the problem of being white supremacy. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can't blame the white man for this. You can't blame whiteness for this. Well, actually, you kind of can. Well, you know, because there's it, it, it feels <laughs> like there's limited space for black people in general and black men in particular in whatever sphere you know organizations even socially right like tv shows you got the one black friend right right and then um so it seems like with black men we're either uh compatriots or competition Hmm. it's either compatriots or competition we can be compatriots and 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 a lot of times it it starts as one and ends up the other right uh where you you might be able to start out as friends but you end up competition in other cases maybe vice versa but because there seems to be so limited space for the magical Negro, mm-hmm. <laughs> we always looking at the other black guy as, oh, is is he going to cut in on what I'm trying to right. do? Which is a function of that scarcity mentality right. is a function of the white gaze and white supremacy and whiteness. See, it wasn't all out of left. No, no, no. I'll rock with you on that. What else, though? Because I think there's I think there's more things that are intrinsic within us that we have to confront. I, I'll give you one. I think. Our lack of willingness to be appropriately vulnerable. Mm. And I know people use that a lot as like, well, we're not emotional, things like that as a cliche. But I think it is very difficult when you get down to a relationship to know how to navigate awkward moments. Hmm. I think it's difficult when you're in a relationship to know how to, and a friendship, to know how to navigate um, a point where that other person disappointed you. And I think we talk a lot about how that works with the white evangelical church. Uh, yeah. But we don't talk as much about how that works interpersonally, relationally amongst our own community. Right. I mean, even just to take a step back, the importance of friendships, yeah, right? That's, yeah, absolutely. And the importance of black male friendships. I've been blessed and I don't know how this happened. I've always had a, I've always had an ace. I've always had a, a, yeah. a black man. So shout out to Malcolm. We became friends in fifth grade. We're friends to this day. Yeah. Have seen through marriage, kids, job changes, family loss, all of mm-hmm. that stuff. And it's one of those deals where we may not talk for three or four months, but right. then you connect and it's like no time at all has passed. And then with the witness, blessed 
that we crossed paths. Right, right. Absolutely, man. Which, how did we click? I mean, I know the first interaction that we had, mm-hmm. but why did it click, though? That's a great question. I don't know. I think we had just such different backgrounds that I think it was fascinating at first to try to figure out how does this even intersect. Yeah. And so I think we just fell into a natural rhythm of conversation. So I remember that first conversation we had was like an hour. And then, you know, I didn't really talk to you personally until a couple of years after that. Mm-hmm. But then even when we met up in Jackson, like everything, it was it was kind of this this curiosity and curious dialogue. And so I think that was what initially started it. But I think trust came over time. Definitely. You know, I think trust came probably, I say, three or four years into our friendship. We started doing a podcast regularly. It was almost like it was forced. But at first, the laughing and joking portion wasn't present on the podcast. Right, 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 right. So the la- it was more like we we're just getting the, yeah. you know, getting the recording done, you know, getting the episode out. It was more. And then eventually over time. I think there was a natural connection and progression in our in our friendship and relationship. I think that was so facilitated by the fact that we like had a a, a joint mission to come around. Yeah, yeah which also we can talk about this later has has also been a source of tension because we're colleagues but also friends, right? So that's not oh, always the case. Yeah, you yeah. Know, Let's talk about that later. Let's talk about yeah. that later. I think that's important for people to know. But I think I think I think that 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 connection came because in that season of life we were sort of on a similar journey mm-hmm. in terms of what we were trying to do in our ministry, in our faith. And, and, and so there was this natural coalescing. So it's hard to make friends. It's hard right. to make friends when you're an adult. And it, I, th- I think if we try to make making friends, the goal, it mm-hmm. becomes even harder mm-hmm. rather than um, sort of making friends on the way of right. something else we're doing. That boy said the real friends are the ones we made along the way. <laughs> you know? Uh, but I, but yeah, like absolutely. Like, so it's like the pursuit of your purpose and naturally putting yourself in space to advance what you're called to do. Exactly. And then finding people alongside that journey. Right. Who right. fit in. Right. You know, it's really interesting, man, because I think I think I found that Another element of making black male friendships so difficult is homophobia. Mm. Oh, yes. And I think that's always been really difficult because I think there's even a perception in your high school years, you get trained in not being affectionate. Absolutely. So you get trained in not saying any anything that will borderline. So you have those, you know, little I won't say it on the podcast, but that qualified disclaimer, you know, well, I'm not trying to be this, you right, know, right, that right. we all know as black men because we've heard it so many times. And so as a result, there's like that perspective that you have to carry yourself at a distance with people you should be close to. Very close to. And so we fear intimacy and friendship. That's a great We fear, point. like, I remember that that picture, that image exactly of what I was gonna uh, say. Ryan Coogler yes. and Michael B. Jordan yes. and how people are like, man, what they doing? And it's like, you know, we sit back and naturally that would be our reaction just right. because of how we've been programmed to stay away And that away picture from. was like, was it Michael B. Jordan was a hand on his head, on uh-huh. the head of yeah, yeah. Ryan Coo. It was just an yeah. affectionate, like, this is my boy, we're friends, mm-hmm. but it was on a magazine cover and people made such a big deal out of the physical intimacy yeah. trying to make it into something that it wasn't and, and trying to make it into something that was negative yeah. When it was just an expression of affection, which, by the way, is very cultural, right? Like yes, you can look yes. at cultures around the world 
men hold hands, men talk, men talk very mm-hmm. closely. So it's something not natural, not in the way or the order of things. It's something that our culture has yeah. foisted upon us. And automatically says, oh, this is sexual. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, and, and, and I think I think there's like that level and element of, you know, we talked about, I think, last year navigating, well, two years ago, actually navigating our manhood and what manhood means for us. But I think friendship-wise, we're still wrestling with the vestiges of that. Mm. And I think sometimes we still catch ourselves, especially in a world and a culture and a church that's frankly homophobic. No doubt. <laughs> that utilizes... Um, plenty of gay men when it comes to the arts and music, but has an issue beyond that, right? Mm-hmm. Or doesn't want to address the ways in which we've been harmful and discriminatory towards them, right? Yes. In the black church, that's a massive issue, right? You know, I remember what a, what a big deal it felt like, and I was mad because it felt like a big deal. It was at the Joy and Justice Conference, and um. I was just overwhelmed at at the whole event, but especially with the team. And if you've ever put on an event like that, you know how much work goes into it. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. So I got up there and and I was just thanking people and especially Tyler, who's been, um, you know, a thought partner and a friend throughout all of this stuff. And I said, I love you. And I made a point of saying, I love you and not love you, bro, mm-hmm. or love you, man, not yeah. qualifying it at yeah. all to be like, yeah. you know. Well, I'm safe, y'all. Don't, right, don't right, think I'm this. Right. Don't think I'm, yeah, exactly, exactly. Just trying to use those three words in a sentiment I really meant toward another black yeah. man can I in be real? public. Can I be real with you? It felt weird in public. Of course. <laughs> of course it did. It felt weird. Not because it's not true. Right. It's true, but I, it felt weird in public. I, yeah. That's how much we've been programmed That's right. That's to resist right. an intimate expression of care and love and affection and all these. But you know what I loved? This is reminding me of um, when Denzel won the Oscar. Yeah. And he paid tribute to Sidney Poitier, yeah. who was in the, the audience at that time. He, I, don't, I don't think he said, I love you, but the, the expression of genuine appreciation and respect was there mm-hmm. now maybe it was a little different because the age difference it was more like a mentor mentee father right. son kind right. of a thing but still you know there are some instances where we can understand that and we celebrate it but there's so few and far i mean that was like 20 years ago so yeah absolutely i, I think we need to talk about why this is important also some some gaps that we have as well and some difficulties that we've run into personally. But let's take a break real quick. We'll be right back here on Pass the Mic. Hey folks, Jamar Tisby here, and I am so grateful for your support, your listening, your engagement with the Pass the Mic podcast. I'm wondering if this podcast has been helpful to you, challenging, encouraging, if you would consider becoming a paid subscriber to the podcast for as little as $1 an episode, you can help keep this good work going. Just visit patreon.com slash pass the mic. That's patreon.com slash pass the mic. We appreciate you for your support.
So we've been talking about friendships and I think it's important amongst black men to say friendships are important because you're missing something if you're only focused on a romantic relationship. Like you're missing something when you don't have a, a brotherhood love. And when you don't have brotherhood affection, you're actually, your soul is missing something. Right. I think it's so interesting how we look at Jesus as having disciples, but we look at the disciples as, especially the 12, as projects. Mm. So we frame everything in a, in a project development leadership training perspective. Goodness. And while that's 100% true, like if you spend that much time with someone over the course of three years, you're going to see them in a strange way. Like the, you're going to see them in ways that are not, yeah, Yeah. you're going to, you're not going to see them in a glossy way. Right. Even like the, the whole perspective of, you know, John laying on Jesus's bosom. Right. Mm -hmm. Like even that whole perspective and what that says in the text Mm. and how that's, how that's perceived and all that. It's like, fam, these people are going to see Jesus for real and Jesus is going to see them for real in all the human bodily functions, (laughs) (laughs) you know, the times of frustration. And I think the question that we have to ask ourselves as black men to one another is who's allowed to see the real you. That's it right there. Uh, Who's allowed to see your tears. Who's allowed to see your pain. Who's allowed to see the times when you're at a loss and you don't know what to do. Who's allowed to see your panic? Because oftentimes our partners aren't allowed to see that. Mm. Oftentimes in romantic relationship, our wives are not allowed to see that. Mm. We don't don't let them see our panic because we have to maintain (laughs) control and, and, and focus in the midst of a difficult situation. But for us, who's really allowed to see the real us and get behind the curtain and say, no, it's not about how you project yourself to the world. It's okay to just let that out, cry, laugh, vent, do all of that. Tell me how you're really doing beneath the surface. It's so interesting that you bring up the disciples because we have the 12, but then we also have Peter, James, and John, right? The three. So like the tight, tight circle. And that is the group for whom, to whom Jesus was vulnerable, right? Mm -hmm. When he was crying, when he was tired. When he needed support. Yeah. And then, of course, there's also the disciples' relationships amongst each other, right? Mm-hmm. And so we get a lot of their flaws and foibles, including arguing over yeah. who's going to be the greatest. Nah, it's me, man. Nah, nah, nah. Yo, yo, you ain't going to be the greatest, bro. like, chill, y'all. You think about, like, you, you think about that moment. I want people to understand, like, let's color the text. You know, let's show the color of the text. I think about 12 men, people of color, petty, uh, ambition, opportunity to be the greatest in the kingdom, sit at Jesus's right and high stress, high pressure. Them boys was roasting one another. Mm. Man, you just you just started following Jesus. I was the original one who was following. Like you think about right, that. Right. Judas popping in. Y'all don't even y'all y'all can't even count money. I'm the one that's holding the money. <laughs> like I'm thinking about you think about how that's a natural 
like make the text come alive. Like I say, I say all the time to my church, waft the text, smell the text. Like if you actually smell what it feels like, it's these people that are that are going at each other over a spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After they've walked with each other right for hand. years. Yes. After they've walked with each other, they're going after a spot. Right. And that's how often it is for us. It's like, yeah, it's they. It, it's almost like they had an entourage mentality, right? <laughs> like yeah. Jesus is the star. Yeah. Hey, look at look at everybody checking for Jesus. Look, I'm gonna be at his right hand. You know, you know, I'm gonna get mine. Yeah. And hey, y'all can be in the crew, but nobody's in my position, mm. right? Mm. So, so I think you're absolutely right. Those dynamics are are certainly in the subtext of the text. It's yeah. there if we see it, if there's it's there if we care to look. Yeah, use, our, use your imagination for man. us, you know, sanctified imagination as they say. So yeah, but you're right. And 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 here's the thing about that, th- those romantic relationships versus these 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 black male friendships, right? And by the way, black men can be friends with women too. Yeah, but exactly. we're talking about black exactly. male friendships this episode. And so it is imperative not to put all the pressure and expectations on this one person to be and do everything for you relationally. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, so it's getting back to your point of with whom can you be vulnerable? Yeah. And there are ways that you are going to need to be vulnerable if you're in a romantic relationship mm-hmm. about that relationship. Right. Absolutely. So, so you actually need other people outside of the relationship, A, to help give you perspective and and B, to where you can just be honest in a different way because the stakes are different. I love the fact that over the past, I'll say, you know, personally over the past probably two years, it's been freeing to meet other men who are older in marriage who didn't believe that your partner had to be everything for you. Mm. You know, it's freeing to hear fellow pastors and leaders and just regular guys who are speaking into my life and encouraging me and walking with me to say, yeah, I have friends. We go on trips together. We hang out. We, right, right, right. Like I have to have that. That's important. It's a beautiful thing when it happens. You know, that's that's open. My wife needs that. I need that. Yes. You know, like that's an important thing. Right. Um, And I just, I think there's that Eurocentric evangelical idea, which is, oh, this person is the one and when you make an idol out of marriage, it's easy to worship the person <laughs> as the meter of all the needs because that's what your entire life has been going to. I remember people saying it's the most important day of your life. This is that yes, that's your best friend. You ought to marry your best friend. You ought to do and it's like, fam. <laughs> that's a I, lot of pressure. I, I, yeah, that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> but I don't even know, you know, on a on a real level, if I'm my wife's best friend. I think that would probably be her mother. And my mm. father would probably be my best friend. Mm. Like, that's just kind of how it will work, like, yeah, in this yeah. season and stage of our lives, right? right? Not that we're not super close. And obviously, we're married to one another. But it's like, we got to be each other's, what? Everything? Yeah. Everything. And that seems crushing to me. Exactly. And that also seems like a very unfair expectation for black men and women to step into an evangelical space and hear the extreme expectations of what? you know, is expected of them in marriage oh and then idolize marriage. Right. And then you, you overbake your expectations for marriage and then you delay marriage. Cause you're trying to figure out like, Oh, I got to make sure this person is everything. And you start picking them apart and everything. Uh, it's, it's layers. And just, then you can't even be friends. Right, right, <laughs> right, right, right. So no wonder the divorce rate's high. No wonder people anyway, because 
another soapbox. Exactly. Um, I was just thinking about another reason black male friendships are so important and so hard. And it does, again, unfortunately, go go back to white supremacy. And I'll start with a story. I remember um, when I was in seminary, I was with a group of black guys. We're all Christian. We all knew each other either through the seminary or the church. And we were in somebody's nice truck. It was like a Land Rover. Mm -hmm. And there were probably five of us. Hmm. Like we were packed in there. We were having fun. It was a good time. And then it just, I think we were coming out of a coffee shop actually. Mm -hmm. And it just struck me. I'm like, if we get pulled over, it's a wrap. Hmm. (laughs) Like five black men, young black Hmm. men in this nice truck. Like, and, and, and then like we all laughed when I said that. But it was trauma laughter, right? Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. that reveals two different things. Number one, it reveals the importance of black male friendships in the sense of folks who understand what it's like to walk around in a body that's viewed as a threat. Mm. Mm -hmm. Right? So black Mm -hmm. black women are, are objectified and denigrated in particular ways because of their embodiedness. Yes, absolutely. And black men are denigrated in a particular way because of yeah. our embodiedness yeah. and and it's really something that only other black men can understand right and then the, the the other side of that is what makes friendship so hard is that when we congregate the the perceived threat level increases mm-hmm. so if it's one black man that's already issue enough in the minds of some people but when it's three five sure, six sure. of us together and then you sort of feel that it's also an emboldening, though, because mm-hmm. like when you're together, you're like, oh, okay. yeah, man, yeah. <laughs> you know what that's like. The yes. Squad, man. Yes. Yeah, yes. It's, it's gang, man. You know? <laughs> <laughs> the exaggerated swagger of a black yeah. team. <laughs> Inside uh, joke, y'all, but we worked it in. We worked it in. The exaggerated <laughs> swagger of a group of black friends. Um, you, you know, I think that's really helpful. I think it's also helpful to say, we don't necessarily navigate conflict very well. Here we go. Yes. All right. So we're about to air out some things. Tyler, I've been well, meaning nah. to say. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I, mean, I don't think we I don't think we handle conflict well. I think I've realized that in our in our friendship. Oh yeah. I'm like, man, I don't handle conflict well. And I think for me, being a communicator, I'm realizing this in all my relationships, that even as a communicator, just because you speak and preach and podcast doesn't mean you communicate well. Mm. Mm. And a lot of times that's a performance and that's a presentation. It's prepared. It's prepared. It's curated. It's it's polished. It's designed, but it's not. It's not real life. It's not real life. And I think communicating your expectations, your Mm. needs, what you, what you expect of the other person, Mm. how you'll meet their expectations or agreeing upon that. So I, I I never learned how to do that. And now as an adult, right. I think I always thought that I could navigate it. But what I'm realizing is as a pastor, and this is why I think pastoral relationships and friendships are so unhealthy sometimes. As a pastor, I'm realizing that every time I did that was in a discipling context where there was a power differential. Yeah. yeah. And either I or the other person was the pastor involved. Right. And so I would do that in that context, thinking that that was preparing me for a relational context with my peers or with someone like you. And I'm realizing now through 
you know, mediation and some other things that we walk through as real friends, you know, and colleagues that. Yeah, it's not that. It's and actually, some people have pushed me like, "No, you didn't say what you needed." I'm like, "I thought I, it and was it's clear. This, they should have known." Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly. my phrase. Like, yes. They should have known. <laughs> and people are like, right. "That's not right." Sufficient. So this is the crux of it for me. More and more, I think the key to healthy relationships is navigating conflict well, mm. because most of the time. We think a healthy relationship is one where there is no conflict. No yes. conflict is inevitable. Yeah. And the key to, to healthy relationships is how you navigate those conflicts. Right. Right. And with me, same thing. Never, A, learned it, and B, it's not my natural proclivity, mm-hmm. right? I will mm-hmm. take on the frustration and the stress yeah. and the disappointment and just hold it in because it seems easier than actually bringing up the point of contention. Um, And the other part is, I'm glad you clarified what, what, what you were talking about because it sort of surprises me because I've always seen you as somebody who goes toward the conflict, but you're right. It's always been, you know, in particular relationships, right? Like you're never afraid to have the hard conversation. You're never afraid to to draw the boundaries. Mm. And that's actually something I admire about you. So yes, while it's in maybe a ministry context, you you have that gear. Yeah, I am afraid of that though. I'm very afraid of conflict. Um yeah, I think I'm actually terrified of conflict in some ways. I'm terrified of conflict when people's perception of me would change mm. as a result of it. Mm. I'm I'm the Hulk in conflict when it's a problem that needs to be addressed. This is the whole pr- premise of the podcast. <laughs> it's the whole premise of really my preaching ministry, which is persuasion. So when there's something to be addressed, when the enemy needs to be confronted, sign me up. Like I'll run through a wall. But when it's me and the perception of me that could change, which is the root of his ego and pride, mm-hmm. which I'm confronting in me. But when there's when it's me, that's when it's taking responsibility for something, when it's having a hard conversation, when it's a mistake that I've got to navigate. Oh goodness. Yeah. I, I I don't like to I'm terrified of those conflicts. Right. And so it's weird how that works and weird how that is sometimes perceived but i'm learning man i'm i'm learning we're navigating this presently navigating difficult situations amongst each other and people don't know that because they listen to the podcast they're like oh yeah you know everything's fine but what i love about it though is there's a lot of grace and mercy for one another right 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 and this idea of bearing with conflict when it's easy to separate right and also this idea of man i have to open myself up to not just express but be expressed to receiving you grow up yeah i want to teach my son from a young age what healthy conflict mediation looks like i want to teach my son from a young age what healthy expectations for others mean that means i have to confront that generational cycle for myself and honestly i don't even think it was something that my father did poorly i think it was just something i never paid attention to sure sure yeah. Because he just had a different life growing right. up. He had a much, 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 much tougher life than mm-hmm. I did growing up. Mm-hmm. He worked hard, so I didn't have the same life he had. Mm-hmm. 
And I just never went through the difficulty of, oh, if you don't have this conversation, you don't eat. (laughs) You know, if you don't have this conversation, someone's going to shoot you. Okay, so that's different. Right. You know, and so I think learning and confronting that gap is just so essential for me as a black man. I'm learning that. And through our relationship and friendship, I'm learning that. And I think we ought to recognize that managing conflict is a skill. Yeah. And we need help. And yeah. and we can learn and build capacity so we can get better at that. I have to tell myself this because, you know, it, it, not managing conflict well is something that affects friendships. It affects mm-hmm. the workplace. It affects marriage. If that's in your yeah. life, it affects all kinds of Messing family with relationships. Mess with your money. <laughs> it's, I mean, any relationship yeah, that you have, there's conflict. Yeah. And if we don't know... And there's so many layers to to managing that well, like f- starting first with your own self. So you mentioned ego and pride, putting that in its proper place and putting that in check with balancing, having healthy boundaries because you respect yourself mm-hmm. and not letting mm-hmm. yourself get walked all Absolutely. over or used or exploited in a relationship. And then learning the actual words and phrases and active listening like one of the most memorable classes i took in seminary was on the other side of the street on the um uh clinical marriage and family therapy Hmm. side Hmm. uh and so i just took class in i don't know if it was marriage or communication but the bulk of it was on conflict and managing conflict and it was just it just put words to so many components of what having a disagreement was, I was right. like, my mind was blown. Right. And it was one of the more helpful classes mm, I took mm. in seminary because even as a, a pastor or a ministry leader, so much of what you're doing is managing conflict. Yeah. Oh, all day. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm looking all at you day, like, bro, I don't even know how you're awake uh, nah, right now. All day, exhausting. man. Nah, all day, bro. <laughs> I, but I think the Lord gives you a lot of grace and capacity to manage it. But I'll say finally, man, I think being emotionally healthy has been the pursuit of emotional health that's right yeah has been a tremendous transformative reality for me and the con- uh, as i mentioned i've mentioned before and will continue to mention but the contemplative tradition mm. of getting clear on how i feel mm. i think there's an instinct and a knee jerk of how i feel but then getting clear on how i feel in silent solitude journaling that's retreat huge. it's huge it's actually transformative for me in this season of my life as responsibilities continue to expand Mm. to actually, if I don't have that, I know I haven't had it. Right. 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 How I, how I live and how I act and my irritability, all the above. So I think it's just black men. We have to pursue emotional health and we have to pursue mental health and we need a therapist and we need spiritual directors and counselors and mentors. And we need peers who are going to be our friends I think we're going to learn so much about one another, learn so much about ourselves, and not for the utility of being better, but for the utility of being healthy yeah, and being whole it's, and being mature. Right. That's ultimately what's most important. And I think one of the notes that is sounding throughout this episode is don't go it alone. Yeah. Oh, no. Um, black male friendships yeah. is a form of community and relationships we need but also getting healthy emotionally and spiritually is something that we should do with guidance yeah like we don't have to figure this out 
all on our own or yeah. all by ourselves. And I think we've been divided up and chopped up and pitted against one another so much. And then we also have this toxic masculinity mm-hmm. of I don't ask for help and I'm, you know, uh, island unto myself that 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 we try to do really hard things by ourselves when they were never meant hmm. to to hmm. be done in silent solitude or isolation my mama so just an encouragement to to, it it's okay to ask for help and and not even okay it's imperative that we do so i'm curious for everybody who's watching this especially black men how are you navigating your friendships relationships i want to hear about this reach out to us you know tag us in something throw up a thread on twitter give us a picture yes how are you how are you navigating this because i think this is a continuous conversation for us, but I think it's also something that we need to get out into the open so that we can have, you know, healthy lives and we can be who we're supposed to be. Yeah. Hit us up. You're never going to work in this town again, man. (laughs) I ever mean it. (laughs) <laughs> You're done. You and me, we're done professionally. <laughs> oh man, this dude, man. What if we do that to haze the new people? <laughs> <laughs> right, <isn't that> so- <laughs> You're done. You're done. You're done. Good luck getting a black Christian job. You're done. <laughs> For the Lord, no more. <laughs> Might as well work for Satan. <laughs> Devil, the evils. All right, here we go. <laughs> oh man. This episode was brought to you in part by the Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.